Welcome back, Kofk and Bond listeners. Um, we have a very exciting podcast for you today. Uh, Tony's out of here, which always makes it an exciting time. And I've, uh, I've brought in a special guest today, uh, Michael Agudi from Morningstar. Michael, welcome. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Uh, Michael, is this your first podcast? It is my first Kofk and Bond podcast. Uh, okay, so we've done one before? I have done one before. Oh, so That's good. Nothing financial, only <laughs> just terrible chat with all my mates uh, uh, sharing it amongst the boys well I think uh, I think that's everyone's goal in life isn't it <laughs> to have a boys podcast if no one will listen to you at home just uh, publish it that's what I always say well, I think oh, we've had many dreams with some of my mates so hopefully I can get mine going next year <laughs> the ones not about finance we'll see if I have any listeners Michael we uh, let's do this in two parts um, I want to sort of talk about our relationship with you at Morningstar um, the reason that we use you guys we've sort of talked about it on our level um, and we've also had Erica in here but uh, I guess how you guys work with us and you know that's what I guess your relationship with us is what's mm. been built in our portfolios um, yeah so I want to sort of touch on that um, and then also a moment that changed your life forever um, and I think that's going to be a powerful message so we'll keep that to the side and yeah. get there but I guess your background um, and how you come to work for Morningstar yeah I uh, thanks Jamie and, and thanks everyone for listening today um, I my role at Morningstar is to work with what I think are some of the best financial planning companies and businesses in Australia. Um, I identified Kofkin Bond many years ago when I was the New South Wales state manager as, as someone we'd love to help and partner with. And when I say help and partner in our independent research and independent investment solutions, um, I was lucky enough to get a role as a national manager um, helping business nationally. Um, and as soon as I got that role in October, I reached out to Tony, Jamie and, and Paul and said, um, I, I understand your DARES investment portfolio construction techniques. I understand your dynamic, strategic and tactical approach to investment management. And I, I really think that Morningstar being the, the largest global independent researcher would be able to help, um, whether that be via data, whether that be via research or via an investment solution. So um, we went back and forth and, and it was really, uh, it was quite exciting working with Tony yeah. and, and Paul and yourself. Uh, kept me on my toes uh, in that early stage. We did go back and forth. I, I guess we made those changes to our portfolio um, that we thought was going to be a betterment for the future and long-term growth. Um, and it certainly is working that way. And yeah, I guess there was a lot of back and forth and that's where we sort of leaned on you guys at Morningstar to provide that research and to provide yeah. that experience there. And... and you know, one of the largest challenges of investors, whether that be individuals or financial planners, is to very much identify with an investment philosophy. Yeah. What is your flag in the ground? When things are volatile, when things are scary, where is your North Star? Um, I was very lucky that Kofkin Bond knew their North Star. I didn't have to help them discover that. Um, but then just making sure that with our global breadth of investment knowledge and research, making sure that they're getting the most optimal outcome for the, the investors that um, seek advice through the business. Yeah. So what makes Morningstar different to any re other research house then, I guess? Yeah. Well, I'll just say what makes Morningstar different in general. Yeah. So Morningstar is a researcher. First and foremost, that is where our DNA stands uh, in understanding data and empowering investor success. Um, where, where we're a little bit different is that we've got this research and we're coming from that as our background to create investment solutions. A lot of our peers in the industry have built investment solutions and then look to get and, and garner research to then 
implement those investment solutions. So um, yes, we both offer the same suite, but where we've come from, from our DNA is very, very different. Yeah. And that's where I think where we stand out because we're, we're constantly producing um, innovative content for our advisors and our community. Um, but then if they don't want to manage money themselves or they believe in a really dynamic approach to managing money, we do have solutions that can help. Yeah, and I think the research tools that you provide, like we, we use one internally every day, um, and the way we're able to drill down in our portfolios and you know look at regions that we're investing in and things like that, I think that's important when showing clients the, the way that we invest. Yeah, it's, it's all about maximising the probability of you achieving your goal. Yeah. And we build multiple tools uh, here in Australia. We've got a larger universe of tools in the US and through you know Europe, Middle East and Africa uh, to really, as I said earlier, empower investor success. That is our, our motto at Morningstar and yep. we're very focused in, in making sure that individuals, financial advisors and asset managers in the more institutional space have the right tools, data and software to be able to uh, maximize that end investor yeah and looking at Morningstar you guys are also I guess value investors I think that's that's in your blood as well um, and looking at that long term and that's where it fits in well with us I think yeah and and in the investment management division um, which is very much where I grew up within Morningstar um, it's very much on the power of asset allocation um, you know there's a very famous paper by Roger Ibbotson whether 70 90 or 100 percent of your returns come from asset allocation um, cheat it's actually all 60 or 70 90 and 100 yep. but uh it's an ing it's a really good read so if you uh want to have a good night's sleep uh make sure to put that <laughs> by your bedside table might get that out to everyone okay well let's move I, I just want to touch on that so everyone i guess could know what's happening in the background here um but this is where i really want to move on to in this podcast and I actually heard this story for the first time on Friday, so thanks for the beer. I really no, appreciate that. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I sort of had heard of it, um, had heard that you'd gone through this struggle, but had never known the full story. And I think it's something that we really wanted to get in here and, and tell our clients. Um, yeah. From our end, we've seen some um, sad stories over the past year. We've had a pretty tough year, as we've sort of said on a few podcasts, but... Um, 2018, uh, am I right? It changed your life? 2018, yes. Yeah. So I, um, part of my job, as I said, is to go and meet some of the best financial planning firms in Australia. And um, I was attending an uh, advisor conference in Perth. And uh, as long as this doesn't go back to my boss, I was having an afternoon off. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting by the pool, having a sunbake, um, having a beer um, with a few advisors. And uh, I got a little bit sunburnt which is normal, I guess, yeah. relatively normal. And I came back, and, and you know how when you're, when you're sunburned, you get those sort of hot flushes and you get a bit sweaty. And I was like, oh, there's someone the sunburn goes, that'll be fine. And so I went back to, it was in Perth, I went back to Sydney, and the hot flushes started getting worse and worse. Um, and, you know, I thought maybe I just got a fever. So I went to a GP. Um, he said, oh, you know, take some Panadol, come back in a week if, if it doesn't get better. Um, but during that week, I was waking up sort of four times a night, having to change the sheets. We were putting towels on towels underneath the bed sheets. Um, and I was just sweating through and I was freezing cold. So um, Franny, my beautiful fiance, she'd, she'd get up in the middle of the night, change the sheets whilst I was sort of in the fetal position in the shower, yeah. trying to warm up for like 10, 15 minutes. Um, then went back to the GP and I'm very lucky my uncle is a doctor and he said, oh, ask for a blood test. And, and whilst I'm not you know, begrudging GPs, they do a fantastic job, just this specific 
GP said to me, um, blood tests are for specialists. Um, come back in another week um, and with some more Panadol. Um, and I was very lucky that my uncle pressed at that point in time and said, bugger that. You get I'll, you're getting a blood test. Um, I'll give you the blood test. Um, so I just went to my local pathology people and um, it came up that I had some really significant infections in my blood and, and that could have been a, a multitude of different things. Um, at, this, at this point, it could have been... Oh, it could have been anything at this point. It, so um, I was just about to go on a national roadshow with Morningstar. Uh, we're going to go visit close to 1,200 different advisors nationally and, and I was going to present. Um, but again, uh, my uncle was like, before you jump on a plane, um, let's make sure everything's okay with your heart and your brain. And so uh, the, I was meant to leave on a Thursday. This is the Sunday before I get admitted to hospital. And um, they put me in one of those little bubbles. Oh boy. I was a bubble boy. <laughs> um, so Franny's on the outside. My mum and dad are on the outside. Yeah. I'm this bubble boy. And um, sweating with infection has the possibility of 300 plus different outcomes. So there was really just uh, a needle in a haystack. And they said, we'll start off at the highest probability and work our way down. So let's test, test for HIV. I was like, wow, this got real, really quickly. Yeah. Um, and... You know, I'm there in a room by myself. Everyone's coming in in hazmat suits and I'm getting tested for HIV at the age of 29 years old. Um, and so this, for over like two days, I got multitude of different tests, Ross River fever, um, pneumonia, all these potential outcomes. And I was really excited. It was my first time presenting at the National Roadshow. I said, guys, if you don't find anything in the next 24 hours, I'm out of here. I'm going for it. I'm going. I've got, got a flight to catch. Uh, adios. And they did a CT scan, um, which changed my life. That CT scan found that I had tumors all over my bones. Um, and I got um, a biopsy of those tumors. And it had two different outcomes. Um, it was either going to be stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, or it was going to be a disease called myeloma. Um, and at this point, the, the, the lovely doctor at the Sand Hospital in Sydney, um, he said to me, he goes, um, we're going to transfer you through the oncology department. And like, I'm not at all medical. I, I'm a financial guy. Um, but I know what oncology means. Um, and they found it. And I, I've never had a more heart-wrenching moment. I, my, my uncle was there. Uh, he comes in like with his chin wobbling like my um the napolis have a chin wobble when they get a little bit nervous um and i messaged fran and i said um i got cancer and so she sorry guys um take your time mate well um yeah so she rushed um to the hospital um my uncle called my mum and dad and um we all just sat there how long was the wait in that regard? Well, it took a week to get the biopsies. Wow. Um, and so um, all my uncle said is don't research it because there's cancers and there's cancers. Um, but let's get our results and then we'll figure it out from there. So did you, did you manage to stay off your phone? I did because I'm too scared of my fiance. I was like, you had her cause I'm, I did. Uh, my patients would have yeah. been oh, shocking. God. Like. So, um, she came in the hospital. Um, she sat next to me. My mum sat next to me 
Um, and I got the best news possible. It was stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma, which... Yeah, you explained you explain this to that me that on sounds Friday. weird. When you, when you first explained this to me on Friday, you, you mentioned the same thing. I got the best news possible. I have stage four. And I'm like, oh, the yeah. way that sounds, it doesn't sound like the greatest news. It, it doesn't. But uh, And to those people that have myeloma, you know, my heart goes out to you because it's a really difficult disease to beat. Um, but um, that was the higher probability of what my symptoms had was this myeloma where there is a really short life expectancy with that disease um, whereas stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma and Hodgkin's lymphoma in general is, is, is curable um, so it was weird that the nurses and the doctors were saying congratulations you've got cancer <laughs> and I'm sitting there going guys you, you don't get it but yeah. you know hindsight's lovely you know I, I was very lucky to get that diagnosis um, and from there, everything sort of stopped. So, you know, it was very difficult going into work uh, and telling everyone at work that I, they, they were fairly supportive from what I, what uh, I understand. Morningstar is, is a brilliant company for that. They, they truly value the staff that they have. Um, and, you know, my, my managing director, Chris Galloway, uh, head of distribution, Regan Van Berlo at the time, uh, were very supportive. And they just said, take your time, come back when you're, when you're ready, you'll, you'll have a job. Uh, but that's one of the really difficult things when, with cancer. You don't really know what your HR status is. Yeah. You just, you hope. And, and that's why when you work for a company, make sure that they share the same values as you. When you work with people, make sure they share those values because... You know, your life can change in an instant, whether that be via natural things like strokes and heart attacks or cancer, or whether that be by a car accident. Yeah. Um, make sure that you, you go and, and spend time and, and work for people that have those same values. Well, I, I think the hard one that we have a lot of clients that come in and um, we'll sort of touch on insurance in a minute, but I guess they can sit there and, and, and someone my age, so t- 29, you, you, I'm 28, yeah. um, you know, diagnosed with something. I, I guess if I ask any of my friends if something's going to happen to them, nothing's going to happen to any of them. You know, why would I worry about it? It's not, nothing's going to happen. It's not going to happen to me. Yeah, so I, that's exactly right. I... I I, before joining Morningstar, was traveling the world playing rugby. Yep. I was in the UK for three years playing for Bury St Edmunds, which is a sort of tier two rugby club wanting to push into the championship leagues. Um, having a fantastic time traveling the world playing sevens, come back, uh, play for Eastwood, uh, play for Epping, just won a premiership in the August before. Life's good. Oh, life was good. And, and it's funny, Franny and I were saying in, in just in that Christmas, you know, life is perfect. Yeah. And I'm not saying I jinx myself, but it really was. Uh, I was sort of 29 years old. I was in the prime of my career. I was earning, I was earning fantastic money. Yeah. Um, we, we had um, aspirations of buying a house in Sydney, which, you know, is very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we got, sh- we got shaken. Yeah. We got detoured. Um, so... With that, I had four months of intensive chemotherapy. So what, what time was this in the year, I guess? So this was um, mid-February by this stage. So this is probably like a month after my sunburn yep. in, in Perth. Um, and, and so you start your treatment plan, which is going to be four months. Yeah, it was the 15th of February because I remember we had Valentine's Day in the hospital and I got my stage four news back. And um, I got my dad to buy Franny some flowers whilst we're in hospital. Oh, you saw a romantic, even when it's all going on. Mate, if you ever meet Fran, I'm batting away above my average. <laughs> I need all the... <laughs> Don't forget a date. Don't oh, forget a date. I need all the help I can get. So, um, 
Yeah, so 15th of February, I got transferred to RPA and um, to, you know, someone who's very dear to me, Dr. Larson um, out of RPA, who is one of the hematologists there. Um, and they put me on track. I had tests, I had um, bone marrow tests, I had oxygen tests, I had, I had everything. And they put me on a, what they call an escalated beer cop, which is a really intense form of chemotherapy um, over a four month period with the potential outcome of, of a cure. Um, and because I was young, because I was fit, because I, I said, you know, I'm focused on this, um, they, they chose that as the, the best form to, to give me the highest probability of a cure. And, and I sat there and I, as again, I was at many crossroads through this and I said, there's two ways I could go about this. The first way is I could be the absolute prick to the doctor, question him on every possible decision there was yep. and make his interaction with me the worst possible thing that when he sees my name on a chart, he's going to cringe. That was one option or fully submit. Just say, you know, I know your qualifications. I know what you're doing. I know that you're credible in this industry. Fix me. Yep. And I do think there's a lot of analogies there for financial advice as a client. There's, there's sort of two types of clients that you know I come across when I'm working with advisors. One that constantly question every single decision that there possibly can be. And I guess that doing scrutiny is really important. Educating yourself is important. But making sure there's a really positive experience and that when your phone picks up that someone wants to answer it and they're excited to answer it and completely buying into the process. Um, and there's that trust in the relationship at the start. It, it's so crucial. It's so crucial. So when you, know, you do work with Tony, Paul and Jamie or with a financial advisor in general, embracing and, and buying into the process because they are tr- truly there to help you. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the approach that I took um, when I look at the doctors. So, you know... I was always having a jokes with him. You know, we were following Golden State Warriors in the basketball because that was his favourite team. So we were doing score updates whilst he was um, treating me like a pincushion, <laughs> taking all my blood. Um, you know, I, I was um, joking with the nurses. We were eating chocolate there together. You know, I, I really tried and focused on, yes, it was crap. Yes, it was terrible. But let's really try and make this an enjoyable experience for everyone. Yeah. Uh, because... Um, you can't be selfish because yes it is crappy something that's happening to you but there's a lot of people that care about you and and they're also uh, passively feeling it as well so try and make it as happy as possible so four months well four months of treatment um yeah how does that hit the bank balance yeah good point so um if medicare first and foremost saved me yep from the the chemotherapy costs the cost of chemotherapy alone would have been about $150,000 if I went I th- privately. I think when they say the lucky country, um, we oh. are in that regard. Like we went over the States and that was one of the first things I asked, you know, what's this Medicare? And you explain it and it's wow. Like, you know, it does save lives in that sense. Oh, absolutely brilliant. Um, but I, I was, I do earn more than Franny. Um, it's just the, the way it is in, in our relationship. And if, uh, just say hypothetically, I, we were blessed to have income protection. Um, and if we didn't, we would have severely struggled because the the medications alone were a thousand dollars a week on top of Medicare because they're the chemotherapy tablets and the steroids that I had to go home and take um, 
on a nightly basis. Um, they were $1,000 a week. Plus, we live in Sydney and we're renting. That's $700 a week that we pay in rent. We don't have any children, but if we did, we'd have to have childcare child costs or, uh, you know, keeping them alive costs. Yeah. Um, we would have had to have food. We would have had to have utilities. We didn't have any children, but we had all those costs. And we would have been, you know, negative two, $300 a week um, if we just lost my income. As I said, I, I was very lucky to have income protection. Um, working with financial advisors in Sydney, they said it is the third largest asset that you have is the future potential of your salary. Yeah. Why are you being so negligent? And when I mean, people say it like that, it's it's scary. You know, I'm going to insure my car that's twenty thousand dollars. But not yourself. But I'm not going to insure myself. Like how how silly is that? So, um, I did I did get um, income protection. Um, upon reflection, I would have loved to have had trauma. Yeah, I guess. Or critical illness, which is I guess when you have a stroke, heart attack, or cancer. cancer. Uh, we look, look at cough and bond. That's probably the one we see is most important as well. Um, I guess it's getting that lump sum up front to help with those costs while also supplementing your because especially like if you had a mortgage as well there's that cost as well renting renting in sydney is just yeah, march anyway yeah crazy but, but yeah. one actually one of the girls um that was getting treatment with me she did have trauma insurance and, and her saying was well at least i got a house to, when i got diagnosed with cancer this <laughs> was like you're killing me, you're killing me. <laughs> here i am i'm still renting you got a house and you've got the same bloody outcome so um I mean, that's a jovial way of expressing trauma insurance, but it, it, I can speak for myself. If I'm 29 years old, last thing I do is to come back from a conference expecting to have stage four cancer. Yeah. Um, and it not, I mean, based, they did, we did a lot of studies because they wanted to make sure mentally that we're tracking well. And they say that the number one stress during cancer is not the disease, it's actually financial stress. Um, and the amount of stress that puts on the relationship, that puts on uh, the positive mindset that you need to get through one of the, the more deadly diseases, truly affects uh, the probability of you actually um, beating the disease. Um, I, I, can't, I can't speak more um, t than the power that the income protection gave me and Fran, um, the security it gave me, the flexibility um, it gave me to allow Fran not to be um, my fiance, the, the breadwinner, the, the cleaner, the cook, because I was just sitting there in the fetal position hoping not to die. That yep. was my job, not dying. Um, she tried to do everything else with the help of my mum and my dad. But some of us aren't fortunate enough to have, a, you know, a mum or a dad that's nearby or that is has the ability to also stop work. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people like me that I, I, I don't want to depend on people. Yeah. I'm of the age where I should be able to stand on my own two feet. Uh, I should be able to support my family. And if I didn't have income protection, I lose all that. And that, that's a big conversation here, I guess, you know, when you, when, we, when you are talking to the younger generation and my age, I guess it's about investing now and I want to, you know, I want to earn money, I want to get to here, but we're saying earn money, but you need to protect that income as well. As I said, it's a, it's a third largest asset that, that someone will have. They'll have their house, they'll have their superannuation and they'll have their future potential of earnings. Yeah. So how long were you off for that entire process? Yeah, so I was off... Um, it was February 15th uh, to June 30. 
you know, I can't take the financial man out of me. <laughs> uh, so June 30 was my last treatment and I, I was swollen. I, I'd gone through the walls. I put on, actually I lost, I lost 16 kilos in that month of January to February. And then I put on 30 kilos with all the drugs um, as they pumped me full of everything. Um, and I was bald, I was ugly, I was, I was, you know, gummy, I was everything. Um, but I beat it. Yeah. Um, I'm still a bit bald. Uh, well, I actually, still the, first, a bit bald. the first time I met you, uh, I was saying it was interesting. I just thought you were bald. <laughs> I, I thought that's, yeah, I was like, well, that's his look. And then you, you tell me you used to have one of the greatest afros going oh, around. Geez, I had a beautiful afro. If anyone from, uh, knows Willie Mason, I was a dead ringer for Willie Mason. <laughs> uh, he's not a very good looking fellow either. So, <laughs> but, um, I mean, yeah, there are some side effects that I've come out of it. Um, you know, the hair, who cares? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've got the battle scars as most people who go through chemotherapy, there are issues that, that, that come. Um, but I live to fight another day. Um, you know, I feel like I've got a duty. Um, one of the first things, like, all, you know, we're all superheroes, especially 29-year-olds. Yeah. Um, my friends as well, because we're all these, we're rugby union guys, we're, you know, I'm a second rower, we're, we're forwards, we, we just run into rucks and ruck each other and smash each other, yeah. nothing can ever go wrong. Um, it went wrong. Yeah. Um, and everyone's sort of re-evaluated things, you know, what matters most first and foremost family friends um and then how do i maximize and, and protect them um through all these things um and most of them went out and sought financial advice yep. as a result because they saw the true effects of not having money or, or the potential of not having money would have had in my circumstance um it, it's yeah, it was it was humbling. It was. Uh, I'm glad that I was able to help um, my friends. Yep. First and foremost, because you know I love my friends. Um, but when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, and, and we we're talking about the podcast, uh, you know, I think it's a fiduciary responsibility because these stories don't get told of you know the 29 year old, six foot five rugby player that Healthy. gets crippled to their knees and yeah. needed help. Needed help financially, needed help um, as a support network. Um, and, you know, I was very, I was one of the lucky ones. And now you can't plead ignorance yeah. to everyone listening. <laughs> well, that's, that was the big thing when talking. It was, I think that's the thing that amazed me most about the story is, I guess, your age um, and, and that time that it went from, you said, as you said, how perfect's our life right now. Yeah. So life's not that perfect. No. No, it's not. Um, but now, how's things going now? Hey, now it's good. So uh, one of the things, I'm, a, I'm an absolute crazy golfer. Um, so unfortunately with the chemo, I got um, what's called a pick line. So it's rather than having to get a cannula, not a catheter, a cannula in my wrist each time um, for the chemo, they kind of left one in there in my arm. So I couldn't do anything with my left arm. So I couldn't play golf for five months which would have been which is devastating so the handicap got the handicap it blew got out <laughs> um, but i was i was like well i got five months off i can play as much golf as i want i can just go out and chill out i couldn't i just sat in the fetal position <laughs> and um 
you know, as of June 30, that came out and that meant I could be more active. So, you know, I started swimming, which was good fun. Um, I, I went to the gym, but because I lost all my muscle mass, uh, I was in the geriatric class, um, which was, again, for a rugby player, very humbling, lifting <laughs> two kilo weights and on a stepper with uh, grandma sitting next to me, outlifting me. So um, that, that was... Uh, so your, dead, your deadlift dropped a fair bit. Oh, my deadlift dropped a fair bit. As I said, the 80-year-old man next to me was uh, out squatting me, out everything me. So, um, yeah, I had to build my body back up. I had to build my mind back up. Um, uh, and whilst mental toughness was important through that, um, you know, it, it was, you know, I had to sort of defocus and relax a little bit because I was always on edge. You know, I was really focused on beating it. Yep. Um, and that took me three months to, to get back to myself, uh, to a closer to myself. Um, and the hair grew back. Uh, the beard was patchy as ever. I had a, a very misplaced mustache for a little while, um, which was terrible. And, uh, you know, I looked like Homer Simpson, Homer Simpson haircut for a while. But as I said, that all comes back in time. And uh, I'm very lucky to be able to tell a story. Michael, thank you very much for today. I've loved your story. Um, we've actually got some staff members sitting here listening to it very quietly as well. So, again, thank you for your time, and I really can't wait to pump out this story. No problem. Thanks, everyone, for listening.